The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. Austin FC picked three potential new players in the MLS Super Draft, and we're going to tell you all about them and how they might or might not fit into the team. The Johan Valencia signing was made official, so we'll hypothesize about where he best fits into the Austin FC midfield. And Sam Stasekul of The Athletic also joins us for a chat about how recent Austin FC moves might affect the salary budget this season. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I am relishing in the fact that three years ago, we went to the Rustic Tap and had a really, really long day that seemed like it went until 3 o'clock in the morning. It actually <laughs> went until like 9 at night. And yeah, that is and the... Why were we at the Rustic Tap, Jeremiah, for those who don't know? <laughs> it was just because we like we're, to we're just out like hanging out on downtown <laughs> all day long. Yeah. Yeah. So we just passed a few days ago the third anniversary of Austin FC Day, which was the day that Don Garber and Alexi Lawless came to town and Austin FC was officially announced as the 27th uh, Major League Soccer franchise. And I think you said you, you were playing a drum and lost that's, your hearing next to Faris and the Bombo. He wanted to right. tell, tell that story from that day. Yeah, so that was like the the initial seed of what became La Murga de Austin <laughs> was me playing a snare drum and Faris, who is still very involved with, with the Murga, uh, playing a Bombo with the, with the Platillo. That's like the big bass drum that has a little hand symbol on the top of it. And I was like, I've played in bands and stuff like two drums should be okay like in this big open space I, I think my ears will be okay I think I can handle it and with Fadi standing like right next to me with that the platillo like the little symbol just right in my ear for like six hours <laughs> and the next day I was like I think I have permanent hearing damage like this is not good and it was ringing for several days afterwards it finally went away and I think it's okay but I was like legitimately nervous for a few days that that was never going to stop. But uh, overall, that day was amazing. I think we got downtown at like two to kind of prepare for like little march into the thing and stood in an alley for an inexplicable way longer. Of time. Yeah, way longer than we should have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but went in and like tons of people came in and were very excited. And that that was we talk about these landmarks when we kind of realize like, oh, this is going to be big like people care about this or are going to care about this and that was one of those like so many people at that venue that like a lot of the events were these smaller things where you had to kind of be really into what was going on to know about it and we kind of saw the same people over and over and there we saw lots of new people and met lots of new people and that was one of those landmarks but uh overall an amazing day and like I <laughs> you I heard saw you online talking about how you got home and you thought it was super late and uh, it was not at all. Yeah, it was 10. Yeah, I thought we'd stayed out all day long. And my <laughs> wife, my wife's like watching t- TV. I'm like, why are you awake? And she's like, because it's 10 o'clock at night and you've been you've been out all day. And I think one of my other favorite things from that day was the look on Don Garber's face when people started chanting, take our money <laughs> at him like early on in the announcements. And it's like, the, I think that was probably the moment for Don Garber when he decided that they had really it nailed it. Uh, in terms oh, yeah. of making Austin a franchise. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy how uh oh we, we had Andy on last week and after we like stopped recording, 
uh, or maybe before we started, one of the other it, weird ask, like me and Andy were trying to figure out if we had ever, ever actually spoken in person. I think that was the day because he was talking to Adam Butler and I just kind of barged in and introduced myself. But uh, yeah, amazing day. And it's led to an even more amazing last two, wait, three years? How long was that? Th- three that was years. three years ago. Yeah. Crazy. It seems like yesterday and a decade ago at the same time, but uh, yeah, glad glad we're here rather than there at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's exactly what was my, my my take was going to be on it. It's like a lot of those memories are super vivid, and then some of those things are just seem like such a distant past. And it's a great step along the way, but I'm very happy to have a team to talk about and a season that's only a few weeks away. Um, now to talk about one other thing that we wanted to do. If you didn't check out. Um, stateside soccer show last week we 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 get we did two shows last week so we had the chance to talk to those guys uh probably look super weird on video i haven't gone back and watched that have you watched the video <laughs> i just saw some of the clips YouTube? that they played but yeah we are not used to we we use essentially use the video when we record this show to just like have more like chemistry with each other when we're talking but it also allows us to just like space out or be staring at a screen or like pick our nose or whatever whenever we're not because we know nobody's ever going to see this video. Not the case with the stateside soccer show. They actually released that video and people see it, which uh, we're going to have to get better at if we ever do any camera stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I'll put that in the show notes um, on the striker Texas website. If you didn't get the chance to check it out. So you can see us, I think I, I described it as the one hour version of the hundred hours we've spent podcasting. So I don't think we break <laughs> anything terribly new, but it's a, it's a pretty good overview of sort of the whole journey. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we mentioned Austin FC added three new picks through the MLS Super Draft. So we thought it'd be cool to just kind of go through all three of those picks and do a little scouting report on each of them. So we'll kind of do this out of order uh, for the sake of Did you put these in alphabetical order? Is that the reason that you... Uh, I don't really know. (laughs) It's it's the order in which I watched the videos. Okay. For some reason. I don't know. So we're going to go... We're going to start with the second round draft pick. Okay. So Uh, I'm going to... You watch the videos, so I'll I'll give like the general biographical information about the player. How about okay, that? Okay, sounds we'll go good. From there, so yes, uh, defender Charlie Asensio played four seasons at Clemson University, recorded nine assists and eighty-two career appearances. Uh, played the men's national uh, soccer championship game in twenty twenty-one. Assisted on the second goal of the match. He's a twenty-one-year-old senior left back, which is a position of need. And Landon, you have watched video of him and have an opinion on him, and I think it's pretty good too, from what I. I've heard. Yeah. So there was a, um, like a highlight video on YouTube that made him look like a superstar. Uh, and that kind of got me excited looking into more video and not just the highlights. I'm slightly less high on him than I was from just the YouTube highlight clip. (laughs) Um, he seems like He's not bad by any means. He he actually he does have a really good cross, and I, that was some of the stuff that was in that highlight video was some really nice crosses. Um, other than that, he, like I don't know that he's such a different player from Aiden Stanley, who we just released from the roster, and I'm not entirely sure that he's going to be much better, if any, better than Aiden Stanley. I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I'm not sure that I am. So I would honestly be pretty nervous about him having to play significant minutes this year um we have some flexibility with that right because nick lima has played quite a bit of left back hector jimenez has played left back uh so we have between our three starting caliber 
fullbacks, Lima, Jimenez, and Kolmanich, we have some flexibility there. So we wouldn't necessarily, he would even though he would be second in the depth chart at left back, he wouldn't necessarily have to play if one of those guys was unavailable. Um, that being said, I'm like, he's going to, we'll talk about camp here in a little bit, but these guys are all going to go into training camp and have to earn their spot. So Kip Keller is the only one who's guaranteed a contract. Charlie Cincio and Michael Knapp are essentially going to have the opportunity to earn a contract during preseason camp. Uh, I hope, I hope Charlie Cincio comes in and goes lights out and earns that spot and is good enough, but I'm not 100% confident that he is good enough to be that. And so um, there will be some other trialists in this camp and I imagine there will be someone at this left back spot. I would be surprised if there weren't someone at this left back spot fighting for, with Charlie Asensio for that that spot. Well, there are particular parts of his game that stretch you out after watching more video as opposed to the highlights. Like, are there things that the highlight video covered up in particular, or was it just like your general sense of him as a player? It was it was nothing bad. Like I didn't see anything bad. Like one on one defending, I think could probably be a bit better. Um. But it so it wasn't anything bad. It just wasn't anything overly good either. Was anything good? Okay. And so like he wasn't amazing on the ball. Like made some pretty like simple passing mistakes in the footage that I saw. And then also like wasn't a lockdown defender. And so you'd you would hope that if they're going to be not great at one of those things, they would be really good at the other. And it didn't it didn't come across to me as that way. Which is why I compare him to Aiden Stanley because Aiden Stanley seemed to be like just okay at everything but wasn't really good at any one thing and that's kind of why i compare him to that but like i said hopefully he proves me wrong yeah we didn't talk about well i don't remember if we talked about it in the show or not but aiden stanley did find a home at miami fc so is that is that a usl team are they affiliated with inner miami at all or not or i don't i don't think they are affiliated with inter miami i think they're completely separate ownerships um but yeah, I I think that's a good level. Like Aiden Stanley had to play some spot minutes for Austin FC and didn't look bad, but never looked great. But I think USL is a good level for him, and I, I hope he does well there because uh, I, I think he could he could do well in USL. All right. Well, let's go on to second to second round pick Michael Knapp, who has third third, third round pick. Third round pick. Oh, that's right, because we did have one. We had one pick in each round this year. Yeah. Okay. And this is the oddest journey of all the players that we that we acquired. So he was. New York Red Bulls Academy 2017-2018 played two seasons at Montclair State University where he appeared in 35 matches and tallied three goals and seven assists. Um, then went back to Re- Red Bulls as a member of Red Bulls 2. In 2021 was his first season as a professional. 22 games, 17 starts for the USL Championship. And then he's in the draft because... We looked this up age. last year and I don't yeah. remember why. <laughs> So anyway, so we've got a guy that played a whole bunch of minutes in USL last year who was not only available in the draft, but ended up slipping to the third round where Austin drafted him as a defensive midfielder. So did you watch any video on him? I did watch a little bit, and it was with Red Bull, uh, Red Bull 2. So it was his like USL minutes. I didn't watch a ton of video. Um, he looked fine, like like a decent kind of all-around midfielder. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope for him getting a contract with Austin FC less. And this has less to do with what I saw in the video I was watching and more to do with like historical statistics in 2021. uh, The only 
second and third round players that got contracts with an MLS club played with the USL partner of that MLS club, either their two team or some affiliate team. And there was a lot of them that got no contract at all and just went and were able to sign with whatever club they wanted to. So um, third round picks historically do not make the team. And I wouldn't, I, I don't have a, I wouldn't put money on Michael Knapp changing that narrative. Cause I didn't see anything that makes me think he is an obvious uh, candidate to, to change that again. He's going to get his chance in camp. Uh, he, he did uh, come to like, we did see pictures of him at training camp at preseason camp this week. So uh, he'll get his shot to earn it. But again, I don't have a ton of confidence that he'll, he'll be on the team come February. I think it's very fair. I don't think we need to count on him as being our second number six or anything like that for sure. Uh, so let's go on to the pick that we... So we're zero for two on selecting <laughs> Austin's first pick. And this year, at least we'd have some excuse for it, right? Because, I mean, last yeah. year it was the first pick. So it could have been anybody in the world. But, yeah, Kip... Or is it Kip Kippy Keller? Uh, <laughs> yes. 21-year-old sophomore from St. St. Louis. Apparently his the dad is also named Kip. And so... Like among family, he's known as Kippy, which I think is wonderful. <laughs> it's adorable. I don't think we should latch on to that. Um, but yeah, he was widely regarded as one of, if not the best par- prospect in the draft. 21-year-old sophomore from St. Louis University. So I'll go ahead and give Phil his line and say that this is the f- ton of Billiken's draft. I think there were four <laughs> taken in the first round. And, and so- it's three Generation Adidas players. Which is crazy for a school I've never heard of. For sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he made 49 appearances, 48 starts for St. Louis, five goals, two assists, Atlantic 10 Defensive Player of the Year, and first team all conference selection in 2021. Led them to an undefeated regular season. Uh, and they, this is the thing that is odd. Like, I, knowing how many people they, Generation Adidas, and how many people they had picked early, I thought they would have been like runaway NCAA tournament champions, but they were the NCAA quarterfinals. Um, they but, lost uh, to Washington, who also traditionally has a really good team. Has a, has a really good team. Yeah, oh, Freddie Cle- home of Freddie Kleeman. Exactly. Everybody should know it, too. Yep, Generation D player. So I think he's probably the one that people know the most about. Are there any highlights of um, his game that you wanted to get into? Yeah, before we do that, I want to just go back to how crazy it was that we got him at all. Because we said on the show, like, like clearly Kip Keller is, is the, the best fit for Austin FC, but there's no way he's going to be available because people were picking him to go number one, like top three minimum, like nobody expected him to fall past three. And as I was watching, uh, when I should have been working during the super draft that day, it's like, Oh my God, Kip Keller's still here at two. He's still here at three. And then we were watching the number four one. And they picked someone else. I don't remember who got picked at four, but I was like, oh my God, we're going we're gonna to get Kip Keller. And then I was like, wait, surely are they going to pick Keller, someone right? else? <laughs> uh, but then they got it. And I was, I was over the moon, just like, it, it's, we don't know if he's going to be good, but it's center backs are this like domestic center backs are the safest bet you can get in the super draft so much so that eight of the 14 first picks in the super draft were center backs. And so over half of the, of the top, the top 15 there were center backs, which is crazy. But uh, this guy looks, he looks the real deal. He's a big athletic frame. Um, He actually played midfield 
in his youth career. So before arriving to, to SLU, he was a midfielder and they moved him to center back. And so the fact that he's only been playing center back for like two years and looks that good doing it is really impressive. But um, he's aggressive, agile. Uh, I wouldn't say like blazing speed, but for as big as he is, his speed is quite good. Uh, and also is really comfortable on the ball because of his experience playing midfield. So um, I think I've heard some people saying like, oh, we don't we don't need to sign a center back now. Like we got this, this Keller kid and, and I, it's not quite that simple, right? Like, I don't think we can expect this guy to be like a major contributor this season, just be because of, uh, college players need a little bit of time to, to kind of settle into this league and get up to the speed. And so I think at best we could maybe see some rotation minutes from Kip Keller this season maybe fighting for like if we do sign another big uh big center back maybe fighting for that third spot with uh Romagna or Cascante whoever gets left out of that starting lineup if we do sign a big center back um but I think this is more of a prospect one year two years in the future that's when we could really start to expect Kip Keller to to be a starter for this team yeah and that's the uh that's the path that um Walker Zimmerman was the best possible combination, I think, followed that same thing. And then so the other guys like you know, Tristan Blackman was a super draft pick who's been really successful as a defender, but it took a couple years. And I think, uh, who else is trying to think? I think Richie Larreus is kind of the same way, too. I mean, it's just, yeah. it takes a it Andrew, take, it takes Andrew a Farrell for New England, um, I think it took him a few years to really kind of find his groove, but he was one of the better center backs in MLS this last year. So, uh, yeah, it, it does take some time sometimes. I thought one, we didn't talk about the... <clears throat> draft itself you, you mentioned that you know the, the the audio video production was not amazing for many teams and i was really worried when austin came up uh but danny Pereira <laughs> did a great job and had his mic on and all those things and like danny just looks like so happy and i just i felt so good about seeing him do that and in my head even if austin had sent in another pick danny was smart enough to know <laughs> The Kip Keller was the pick, so even even if Claudio had said something else, like Danny, who made that call, was was going to make sure we brought Kip Keller to Austin. Yeah, I I like to believe that he would have. All right, so we kind of referenced a bit ago that so Kip Keller. This is worth mentioning. Kip Keller, as a Generation Adidas player, is guaranteed a contract. So by picking him, Austin FC is essentially saying you have a contract with this team. I'm not sure how the money part of that works if they still have to negotiate a salary, but. Um, they, yeah, he's guaranteed a contract this year. Uh, the other two are not, so they'll be fighting for a spot. And like I mentioned a bit before, there will be some other trialists in this camp that's starting now. We don't know who those guys are yet, but I would imagine there would be a defensive midfielder (laughs) and a left back, uh, as trialists, if not some guys at other positions as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I did was went back and looked at how many minutes we got from our super draft players last year, um, all three of whom were first-round picks. And so we got 1,557 minutes from Pereira, which is quite... I mean, that's kind of what you would hope for out of it. And then Aiden Stanley played 228 minutes, and Freddie Kleeman played 48. So, I mean, the lesson there is don't expect a lot of minutes from your um, from your super draft players. And the other guys, I think they were like, what, three more? And I can't even remember their names. Now uh, Noah Lawrence was a goalkeeper who did not sign. Daniel Steedman is a guy who ended up in USL. And I think there was one more. 
maybe. I think there was, but yeah. So that's, that's just to, to know the kind of uh, caliber you're getting in the lower rounds. And so Freddie Kleeman played the second least minutes of anybody on the team. This is probably kind of a no-brainer, but do you know who played the least minutes and how many minutes did he see? Um, of wait of of draft picks? No, of or anybody. Players of anybody on the, on the roster that wasn't yeah. injured. Well, well, in yeah, they played more than one. Played one or more minutes. Oh man, Cleveland was forty-eight. There was one guy that played less. No, I don't know. Owen Wolf in his eight minutes over two games. Oh, that's right. He did. He went in yeah, that Kansas played, City game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He got. Yeah, he got two. He got two games of of uh, of a peer of, and played eight total minutes. Yeah, and then the other guys were like Schoenfeld. The three guys was zero, right? It was I think Schoenfeld, Segura, and um, uh, Polizic. But yeah, Owen Owen Wolf was the one was the one person who played fewer minutes than Freddie. I thought of Owen Wolf, and I was like, he didn't actually play any MLS games, but he did get some minutes but at the did, end of the season. He, he did a little bit, yeah. At the, yeah, at the very end of the year, um, yeah. To your point on other players in camp, if really a reason I wrote this note in is last year, Will Polizic, Manny Perez, and Mackenzie Gaines all earned contracts as trialists. Do you feel like that was because they were really good, or because that was a function of how thin our roster was? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like I think we'll be if we if we sign three guys during the season who were trialists, I feel like we will be in some kind of trouble in 2022 do, do you agree three guys this offseason no i mean say if say if we bring in three trialists like we did and they become like austin fc players oh mistakes will have been made i wouldn't be surprised if we signed two trialists before the beginning of the season you don't think you think so i wouldn't think be surprised the spots no. for it because we we have two or three free spots depending on so like if we're counting keller I believe that leaves us three supplemental roster spots to fill. And I think Asensio is on the fence there. I would bet on Nap not getting contract. So that's two to three spots there. And if a guy's not with the team now, you could probably get them on low enough money to fill those supplemental spots. So, um, yeah, I could see assigning two to trialists, but they're not going to be like McKenzie Gaines was like the only striker on the team when we signed him. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's going to be like the last spots on the roster and not like, Oh my God, somebody who can play up top, please sign with us. We're going to bring him in and start him immediately. Um, we did finally get a signing. You want to talk about Johan Valencia? I don't, yeah. Again, I don't know what we have to add to it other than the, where the midfield, where he fits in the midfield. But do you have any other notes you wanted to cover on him? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered enough on it. I think the more interesting conversation is here is like, where is he going to fit? I guess we can we can cover kind of the terms of it. So uh, it's a three year contract with a one year option. Is that is that what it ended up being? Right, right. The option okay. is for twenty twenty five. So yeah, it'd be a one year option. And then he is going to occupy an international slot, which we do have now because of Pochettino leaving. Um, based on reports and rumors that we've read it looks like the fee was somewhere between one and 1.5 million uh he is not in the country yet uh i would imagine that's because they're working on a visa they didn't finish all the paperwork and stuff until last week we saw how long (laughs) it took for gta to get in the country hopefully it doesn't take that long but um i imagine that's the hold up there as far as what the midfield will look like i think i had the 
the hope that he would be more of a six and they would play him more of a six after seeing some video on him. And in the press release, uh, there's a quote from Claudio Reyna saying, Johan is a young, talented midfielder with a great defensive with great defensive instincts and an eye for the ball. His presence will add a new dimension to our midfield and free up some of our more attack-minded players to get forward and create chances. So it sounds like to me that they are setting up the idea that he's going to be defensive, Alex Ring's going to be an eight. Does Is that what you took from that? Yeah, that's, that's what I took from that. And then I went back and read Chris's, Chris Bill's interviews with, or interview, the two articles he wrote from his interview with Ring, too. And Ring talked about enjoying playing high and connecting with Drew Ucy, them having a good understanding on and off the field. And you can see that when we were playing together higher, they were better. And then I think in the second article, too, he talked about Ring's strong preference for playing the eight and playing further forward. And so those two things really seem to fit together in a way that is hopefully leads to what, what did you say last week? Like when Alex ring is angry. Oh no, that was in the stateside soccer show. I think we said like Alex ring, maybe sometimes gets angry, makes dumb, dumb decisions. So maybe he will be playing her. He wants to be, and he will be happy. And Valencia will be sort of a destroyer at the six that makes the midfield the best that it can be. Yeah. So do you think it's, is it foolish to not play Alex ring as a six as good as he has been in that spot? Well, I think given the roster we have right now, I don't, I don't see how we do that unless you're going to yeah, play. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like as far eights. as like going and buying a six as opposed to oh. going and buying an eight. Yeah, I think so. I think it's maybe easier to go and buy a six, and I think you have to buy the best player available for your situation. Yeah, that's so, probably true. I mean, Ring looked pretty good as an eight. I mean, he looked like our best eight. Now, yeah, if you had like him as a six and a killer eight in a perfect world, maybe that would be better off. But I think you have to you can only deal with the situation that you have sort of in front of you. And I think that Valencia, I mean, we, we kind of had somebody who was maybe an eight last year that was kind of risky that we just sent back to Argentina. So like that didn't work out very well. So I can see where this is the best move that we have. Where do you think this leaves Danny Pereira? Is he our backup at both spots or what? What's yeah, the rest of I the would imagine like? like, I don't know. I don't know if like, if Wolf is still going to be, like have his campaign to make Danny a six um, because he's not like he did well distributing from there, but he's, I think a, he's not like his game awareness isn't quite good enough to like do really well distributing from that spot. And then B his defensive work was nowhere near good enough to be playing in that spot. So I would, my preference would be Danny to be like the backup, like the first in, at the eight. And if there's a situation where say Valencia is not available, I would prefer to play ring at the six and Danny at the eight. Where do you um, put you, where do you put Segura in that situation? I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about Segura. He played more wing at DC, but I've heard and read a lot of people saying that he has played quite a bit of central midfield. So I think he could probably play that eight spot as well. I've also heard people say they expect him I don't know how informed this opinion is, but they expect him to be able to play the six. I don't, from what I've seen of him, I don't think he's a six. I don't know that he's got that defensive bite in him to be really effective there. Um, so my guess would be like the eight, like dual 10 thing, if it's a four, three, three, mm-hmm. or a right winger, which we have 15 right wingers on the <laughs> yeah. team. That's a real position it needs. So you were, so you really think when Valencia is can't go or whatever, like we see ring, our best position would be to see Ring drop back 
That would be have my preference. Either, have either, um, have either uh, Segura or Danny at the eight. I think so. But the thing is, so with once Drew UC came into the team, we still did see the four three three sometimes, but more often than not, it was more like a four two three one with two slightly deeper midfielders and one getting a bit more forward. Um, I think especially with Valencia and Ring in that setup, I mean, like Ring still ended up bailing people out and like hustling back and making last minute tackles a lot, even when he was playing more forward. And so having that ability, like when he needs to do that, we have a guy who can, but also someone behind him like Valencia who makes it so that ring doesn't have to do that all the time. Um, I, I also, someone, I think Andrew Urban was asking on Twitter the other day, like, so is, does this mean asking about Pereira? Like, is Pereira on the bench? Like, does this guy really put Pereira on the bench? And I said, yeah, but that's that's a good thing. <laughs> like, a guy like Danny Pereira coming off the bench is good. Good teams have good subs. And so, I like, yeah, if Danny Pereira is a starter on this team, it's no slight to Danny, me saying this, but, like, I don't think we're a great team if Danny Pereira is starting right now. Two years from now, sure, I think that would be true. But right now, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, and that's something you've said before, uh, that that's the best thing out of this offseason, is that there's some amount of talent and some level of people who can actually make a difference coming off the bench. Yeah, just guys who have played in MLS before coming off the bench and like have been moderately to uh, substantially successful in MLS coming off the bench, which is... Not a thing we had in almost any position last year. Yeah, that's that is very true. So that's off season. We'll talk a lot more about this next week, but this is all going to come down to what we do um, at center back. So let's talk about the preseason schedule now. So we found out that it started yesterday. No, it started today, right? Is that, is that right? Uh, so I saw a press thing saying that it was going to start on Sunday, but we didn't see any photos or anything until until today, today, Monday. So there may have been, they may have had some meetings or something yesterday, but the first footage or photos we got from the training pitch were today on Monday. And our confusion is because we still have seen basically nothing official about anything (laughs) on the preseason. So what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes are like things we've cobbled together from Twitter stories and Slack and other, other teams, other, press other, releases. Places, other teams, press releases, yeah, whatever we can find. So I think the one thing I want to start off with is there was a question about who on the team spends the most time on their hair that Andrew Urban asked in reply to Derek Ensign. And so do you have an opinion on who you think takes the longest to get ready every day before they head out? I thought after looking at the roster, this was going to be easy, but it's... I think at a certain point last season, it would have been Cecilio. Uh, But this year, like there's really not a lot of complicated hairstyles going on. The guys who seem like they've spent a lot of, at least put a lot of product in it are just doing like a comb straight through. It seems like, so like uh, Husin, Stuver, Kolmanich, Drewsi, they don't seem like they're doing a ton to it. Although it is very uh, product filled. It seems (laughs) So you know, but he says elaborate. So are you gonna punt on the deal or what what are you? Uh I so I think I'm gonna go for Jean Kolmanich. Really? Yeah, because he's the only one who seems to have like a very like fixed hairstyle that's not just like straight slicked back. Okay. I can go with that. I just do, you have like- an, do you have any others? I mean, I feel like with the way that Julio spends so much time putting himself together in general and how 
just like manicured his look is probably his he you know even though he probably doesn't need to spend that much time on it i feel like julio spends the time to make sure that every single hair is exactly where it needs to be that's a good sleeper pick i thought of that one too because he's got like he's got the curls right and so you would you might assume he doesn't have to spend that much time on it but he might still spend time on it (laughs) just yeah just because just to make sure it's exactly right yeah um he's an awesome instagram follow too if if you don't oh yeah everybody should He's There's lots of lots of like in off season good vacation footage, uh, good baby footage. There, it's high quality and some good fashion stuff. Highly recommended. It is so we so we think in a couple of weeks Austin's going to go to Florida. Um, <laughs> we seem to hear from various places, some teams officially, Austin not officially at all, but through the rumor mill that uh, there's going to be at least a decent sized contention of MLS teams going to Florida and training. Is it Orlando? Is it, I guess no, it's, where it's they at play the, the MLS's uh, back or, or IMG, IMG Academy in Bradenton, which I don't actually know where Bradenton, Florida is. <laughs> okay. I don't either. I think it's somewhere near Miami, but it's, it's, it's in the boot. It's in the peninsula part of Florida <laughs> as all of Florida is. Um, and we think they're probably going to play maybe one or more preseason games while they're there. Yeah, I would imagine so. If there's going to be a bunch of other MLS teams there, you would guess they would play some like closed-door scrimmages there at the very least. Yep. And then on February 16th, we have an actual game that is officially announced, the only one that we have uh, so far. And that is Sir Austin's going to play the uh, Atlas, the Champions of Liga Emekes, at uh, Q2 Stadium for a preseason friendly. If you're a season ticket holder, it's included with your package. Um, and it's already in there on SeatGeek. So, I mean, that's... That's cool. That's I mean, yeah. I think anybody, everybody, everybody's excited about getting back in the stadium earlier yeah. than we thought we were going to, and then to get a team of that caliber, I think will be exciting. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I think like I always thought it was a little bit weird that the Tigres game happened in the middle of the season last year, uh, but I guess without any other like tournaments going on, like you could do it then. And they like both teams played a bunch of reserve players and like Owen Wolf got a bunch of minutes and McKenzie Gaines made his debut wasn't didn't even have a contract yet. So I imagine Atlas will send somewhat of a B team to that game and maybe bring a couple of stars for for marketing purposes. But uh, just like hype alone, like that's a really cool thing to, to see the the Mexican champs come to Austin. That will be cool. And then we have on February 19th, a preseason friendly against Chicago Fire at St. Oh, did, David's did we, Performance Center. Did we find this out through uh, like a press release from the team or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did find out this from a press release from a team, that being the Chicago Fire. <laughs> so the Chicago Fire announced that they're going to travel to Texas starting on February 6th. Uh, they will play three games against MLS opponents. Uh, and I believe that they're all at St. David's Performance Center. So Chicago will play Toronto on the 12th of February FC Dallas on the 16th. And then they will close out their preseason against Austin FC on February 19th at noon at St. David's performance center. So we believe that to mean that Austin will also be playing against Chicago or they'll be surprised when Chicago shows up. <laughs> uh, so how many of these do you think we'll actually get to watch via some kind of stream? I would think that the, the, Chicago one at St. David's, we will. I think the Atlas one, we will. I don't think anything that happens in Florida, we will get to watch. But I mean, it's just a guess. I have no idea. Does that sound right to you? That makes sense to me. Like the, I don't, you don't want to necessarily be streaming like 
the second week on the job playing against players. Like I imagine those will look more like scrimmages and less, less like games, like a more controlled setting. Uh, maybe those later ones though, because they, they did do some streaming from St. David's last season, even uh, like right after it opened pretty much. And so um, they, at least we know that they have the, the technology and the infrastructure to stream it if they're, they want to, or are allowed to. So I would hope we at least get to see one or two of those preseason ones. And then maybe the rest of them will get the little like 30 second highlight packages like we did last year. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love every Austin FC moment I can get, but I feel like last off season, I mean, last preseason, there were all these things I learned that I did that weren't in, like Danny Houston scored a bunch of goals and Roddy scored goals. And like, I mean, it was just such a, not applicable to the regular season thing then like if i don't get to see those preseason games it's not going to kill me either yeah we were like we were just like oh, so po- thirsty pochettino all, knocking right? down bangers you know and whatever <laughs> and we thought he was going to be so like i'm it's fine if it, if we don't get to see it i'm okay we're just like starving for any glimpse of the team at that point and so like i remember i like put together uh like a, a lineup essentially based on like this like field level highlight footage was like so there was a moment where cecilia was in the middle of the field and then i saw john gallagher over on the left wing so i think he he might be playing there so there's like dumb stuff like that that we were obsessing over and i think this time was like okay we've seen these guys we'll be we like, very interested to see some of the new guys or like maybe some of these trialists but uh maybe we'll have like a little less uh anxiety or enthusiasm about these games this year yeah let's hope so let's hope so um, let's see who else do we what else do we need to cover? We got Micah Burton with a call up to the national team. The was the U seven U seventeen again? again, yeah. yeah. So again, like we talked about this last time, but essentially it is U seventeen camp, but it looks like they're only calling in who would essentially be like U sixteen players at this point because they're preparing for the U seventeen World Cup, which is like in the next age cycle. So they're only calling in players who would be eligible at that point in time. Um, so it, again, this is just a camp. I don't think they're playing any games, but it's like a 30, 30 man roster. They called in. I think one thing to take away from this is that, uh, Micah Burton got called in late last year to one of these camps. The fact that he got called back is a great sign because that was his first time in. I, maybe, I think maybe he had done some, some stuff at the lower levels even, but U 17 is where it starts to get serious. Right. And, the fact that he got called back is really encouraging that they, they liked what they saw at least enough to, to call him back and get another look at him. Yeah. My question to you as someone who's seen Micah Burton more than most people is, do you think we get, is he, is he the Owen Wolf of this year? And we get eight minutes and two games out of him. I think he's going to be on the senior club. <laughs> well, in my long and tenured career as a, as a youth soccer prospect or youth soccer scout, uh, I've, <laughs> I've been watching the Austin FC Academy for like a year and a half. So I don't, I'm not, super confident in my ability to uh, predict how well youth players are going to do. Uh, but I, I'm not entirely convinced Michael Burton is ready for first team minutes this year. Uh, he's still like, he's gotten bigger over the last two years, but he still kind of looks like a kid. And so, well, cause he is a kid. Yeah. <laughs> he is like, he is 16. So I would, my prediction is Michael Burton gets a homegrown contract this calendar year uh and maybe he gets some minutes towards the end of the season or like in uh like 
U.S. Open Cup or something like that if we if we have some late run in that. Um, but I don't know that we should expect a lot of minutes because one thing to keep in mind is U17 is is still a long way from that first team national team. There's lots and lots of players who've played U17 and never got a sniff of the full national team. And so U17 is not only far from the full national team, but also still a pretty far, far away from Austin FC's first team. Like the level is still pretty, like the gulf is pretty wide, but I do think, I do think he'll get a contract this year and maybe we'll get a few minutes, but I don't, I wouldn't expect him to see real minutes for at least another couple of years. All right. That's, that's fair. Unless, yeah, unless we have these Seattle Sounders, 15 year olds coming down. <laughs> yeah. Austin thing, which is still kind of makes me bitter, but <laughs> okay. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we talk to Sam? I think we're good. Let's, uh, yeah, let, let's preface this Sam stay school interview. So most of you listening to this should know who Sam is, but he writes for the athletic, uh, also does the allocation disorder podcast, but he is one of the top, would you say two or three, uh, writers who writes about MLS in in the world, <laughs> like yeah, he's he's yeah, he's I mean he's probably my favorite just at, at the Athletic, and he's it's one of those that's I mean it's really cool that when you DM Sam, he says yes and agrees to come on the show. It's still, yeah, it's one of those things that still blows me away. Yeah, it, it's and it like it is uh, an honor for him to take the time out of his day, which we almost didn't get that time based on all of the news that was happening late last week in MLS, but. Uh, we get close to this interview time and Sam sends me a message like, Hey, can you give me a few minutes? I'm trying to fi- finish this up. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. Just we'll have the room open. Let us know when you join. And I'm like checking the athletics homepage and I see an article posted. I was like, Oh, Sam just <laughs> published an article about uh Riley McGree getting sold from Charlotte for $7 million or whatever. And then Sam joins the meeting and he was like, Hey, sorry about that. He's like very, very kind and very apologetic. It's like, yeah, I just saw your story post. It's like, actually, there's like bigger stuff going on. Can I have another 20 minutes? Like, yes, absolutely. Take, like, you're not getting paid to be on our podcast. Do the job that makes you money. And just like, let us know whenever, whenever you can do it. And then he came back on and it was like the Kellen Acosta stuff with him tweeting about like not wanting to go to LA and uh, Jefferson Soteldo and all this other crazy stuff that was all happening at the same time. And like Sam still took the time out of his day to come and spend 20 minutes with us. So we are extremely grateful to Sam. He's a, a consummate professional and very, very good at what he does. So uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with that conversation with Sam about uh, what Austin FC's salary budget might look like for 2022. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And so I have a confession to make. What's that, Jeremiah? Uh, well, last week we talked about the calendar, mm-hmm. the dog calendar. And you asked me which which dog is my favorite dog. And I have to admit that I had the 2021 calendar and the 2022 calendar sitting on my desk. And I needed to start a fire. And I used the wrong one. So I've already burned. <laughs> I've already burned my 2022 FBF calendar in my fire pit, so I was not able to answer. But I see that you have yours handy. All those sweet dogs, Jeremiah. I know, I know. I have 2021 still, which does me no good. So I I went back and looked, and 
I'm showing Jeremiah a picture of my October dog, which do you understand why he's my favorite now? Yes. Yeah, he looks like an amazing dog. It's like, like a some kind of like like retriever mutt looking thing and it's white and fluffy and looks very nice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a star of the calendar and also helped us make s'mores last week. Well, if you're not a monster like Jeremiah and threw out or not even threw out burned your FVF calendar and you would like to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right. We are joined by Sam Stayschool of The Athletic and the Allocation Disorder Podcast. Sam, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so I was looking back at the – we had you on the show uh, last year, and it was like two weeks – it's two weeks shy of like right out a year from when we had you on last. And it's, we wanted to talk to you a bit about Tomas Pochettino getting loaned out. And I think when we had you on last time, he had just gotten signed. Ah. And so <laughs> – so every time uh, Sam's on our podcast, uh, a move happens with Tomas Pochettino. Um, so the first thing we wanted to jump in and talk about is the Alex Ring deal. So Alex Ring renewed his contract, became a designated player for Austin FC. Uh, there's some initial fan confusion and some fan outcry, but we spent a lot of time on last week's show kind of explaining why the U22 initiative kind of makes that third DP spot necessarily be a cheaper guy and kind of why Alex Ring kind of fit that mold. Um, do you think making Alex Ring a designated player is the right move for Austin? And just what are your like what are your takes on that move in general? Yeah, well, he doesn't have to be uh, a DP right. with the U22. You know, Austin could have saved that spot and signed somebody under the age of 23. Uh, in the calendar year for, for 2022. And then he could have counted as a young designated player. And then they still could have had three U22 spots open. I know that's a lot of U22, U23 things. So apologies if you don't have it straight, um, but there's no real better way to explain it. Um, that being said, um, you know, I don't know exactly what their budget is. They're not the richest ownership group in the league, despite the fact that, you know, they had a lot of success at the gate in year one. And I'm sure they did pretty well from a business perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised when that deal got announced myself. Um, I always kind of raise my eyebrows a touch when a guy who is on a contract gets elevated to a DP contract with his existing team. Uh, that being said, I, I don't think anyone dispute, would dispute that ring was, I don't know. You guys followed it closer than me. Was he the best player for Austin last year? He was one of, until Drewsi came, he was the best yeah. player. So uh, on merit, you know, I, I don't have any issue with him earning that salary. He was already technically in that kind of range last year. You know, he was a TAM player last year. So um, in general, I think it's fine for for a club like Austin to do something like that. It gives him some added agency, and I'm sure he feels nice and better about himself and his paycheck now than he did you know, before this contract was signed. Um, and that's, it's never a bad thing to have your captain feeling good like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a fine move for Austin. Is it like a swing for the fences move? No, it's not. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, it's not a good decision or a, or a good transaction. 
So do you think we'll see more of this kind of move from clubs to take advantage of it? Or is it, is, is, do you think it's only a specific kind of club? Like it's Austin, do you, you like LAFC or Toronto or like somebody that's got like big. Yeah. So like some, some, some teams prioritize these U22 spots, right. And they want to have three available. So LAFC, who you just mentioned, definitely a club that spends a lot of money and big market and all of those things. They prioritize having three U22 spots. So their three DPs are not going to be all senior non-tamable guys. Toronto, on the other hand, you know, they're signing Lorenzo Insigne for a billion dollars and they have Alejandro Bosuelo and they have Carlos Salcedo pretty soon, most likely. Um, and those are all over age. So t- 24 or older designated players who make more than the TAM threshold, which is $1.6 million. So they only get one U22. So it's just a club by club thing, you know, and it's personal preferences for that specific organization. I think for teams that really want to be active in selling players, they'll continue to prioritize those U22 spots. So Chris Bills wrote for the striker last week, kind of making the same point that you did, that I think the the alternative to having someone like Ring as that DP would be, uh, there's a, a report of Austin FC talking to a Finnish center back named Leo Weissinen. And the final report was that they didn't offer enough money to him. And so do you think it would have been better for Austin or a more ambitious move to throw a bag at a guy like Weissinen and bring in another, like, a, another higher caliber caliber player to be that third DP spot and leave ring as a TAM player. I mean, it's hard to say specifically for that player because um, not only have I never seen him play, but I've never heard his name until you just mentioned <laughs> it right there. So I can't speak with any degree of specificity about him, but yeah, of course it would have been more ambitious had they gone out and signed like some $10 million player in that spot. But right? they wouldn't then, have been able to, up. right? No, they would have if he was young. If he was young. Right. Okay. Is, is anybody doing that? Are, are there young DPs? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Atlanta did it last year. Barco was a young DP. So, you know, they were able to go and sign three U22 players, despite the fact that all three of their DPs were well over the TAM threshold, you know, because Barco was a young. So, yeah, they're, they're one team. Uh, LAFC was another um, with Brian Rodriguez. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others off the top of my head. I'm sure there are some more. Uh, NYCFC, I think, as well. They might not know. They didn't even have three designated players last year. One of them was a young DP, though, and, and they did have three U twenty two guys. So that's yeah. Mag- Magno would be the young. Yeah, Talos Magno. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, so another move that Austin made recently is loaning Tomas Pochettino back to River Plate. Um, what does a move like this mean for Austin's salary budget in twenty twenty two? I know that there's an option to sell after the season, but what does Austin get salary budget wise this season? Yeah. So obviously they get the DP spot, right. That has been filled by, by ring. Um, and then the rest of it sort of depends on what, if there is a loan fee, well, presumably there is, that's why there's a DP spot available, but how much that loan fee is uh, his salary, it, you know, how much of it is being covered by river and how much is being covered by Austin. I don't know the particulars there, but let's say they cover the entire salary River does and Austin doesn't have to pay a penny of it. Um, then all of that would come off the books. Right. And I, I unfortunately do not know the particulars of the loan fee or I don't, I, this is something that I need to look into how that works in terms of budget charges and things like that. Um, I don't think it would apply if they got a fee for them, but yeah, I, was, I was I curious can't say about it with certainty. 
the so generally a transfer fee so the transfer fee that Austin paid for Pochettino would normally yeah. be calculated into the well I guess it, not not if he's a DP though right so no well it would normally yeah, be calculated exactly. into the budget charge but if he's a DP it doesn't so maybe that part doesn't <laughs> it matter sort of, uh, it sort of does and it sort of doesn't and you know it's it's all a little confusing there's there's a charge right or an equivalent of what it would be and then that gets bumped down to to six twelve or whatever, if they spend allocation, maybe a little less. Um, it's complicated, and without yeah. knowing the exact <laughs> specifics of what the fee was, both for acquisition and for the loan, it's really hard to say with any degree of specificity. Uh, this is so hard. So sorry, it's a crappy <laughs> it's answer, answer. But <laughs> so everybody asks us all the time, right? Yeah. Like exactly what does this mean? And it's like it's all nobody knows they have some more room <laughs> there you go because of it that's, so that's a good go. way to so <laughs> let's say we get to the end of, let's see he has a great year in argentina we get to the end of the year they decide to convert that to a purchase and they say three and a half million is a again a made-up number that nobody really knows that we've heard sure um what so what happens with that money i mean austin obviously gets to put that money in the bank but then in terms of how we're able mm-hmm. to, how the club's able to reallocate it like what what does that look like yeah it depends. Again, everything depends. So when designated players, players that teams have to go out of their own pocket to pay for, so they're they, they're over the maximum budget charge of six twelve, Pochettino is right. Um, you first have to recoup the entirety that you paid the guy out of pocket, acquisition fee and salary, before you can convert any of the transfer fee into general allocation. Once you get to that point, you can convert up to one million and fifty thousand of the transfer fee into general allocation money, which then you can spend on your roster however you choose, or you can trade, do do whatever. You know, it's just another asset for you to use. Um, an interesting thing there. Well, general allocation money is like it's not real money. Like it's just like it's monopoly money that's given to teams by the league. But in these instances, when it comes out of a transfer fee the the team actually has to pay the league real money not monopoly money to convert so in if if for instance charlotte sold a player for four million dollars today they get the four million dollars wired to them from middlesbrough who, who was the buying club but if they want to convert a million and fifty thousand dollars of that into gam they need to wire a million and fifty thousand dollars of it to mls essentially cashing in for like gam poker chips Exactly. It's a good way to put it. <laughs> Might steal that. <laughs> oh, so like a worst case scenario in this Pochettino uh, s- s- uh, situation, if he plays poorly in Argentina and has to come back to Austin, then essentially Austin has four DPs and they would need to buy down Pochettino at that point, correct? Or Ring. Ring can be bought down as well. Like yeah. His okay. contract is still tangible. But yes, one of them would, would need to be bought down. Or, you know, Dominguez or Drusi could move as well. That's a possibility too. So yeah, and even with with Dominguez's salary is like one point six or something like that. So I think he would actually even be below. I don't I don't remember exactly what his salary is, but I think he would be in the TAM range as well, depending mm, on what unlikely his, when you account for his transfer for the transfer fee. It's yeah. always going to keep it over. Um, yeah, I don't know the exact specifics there, but it would likely keep it over for the duration of his deal. I'm, I'm actually pulling up his salary right now. It was one point seven four. Oh, so it's it's so he's above that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, just all right. That so open. <laughs> that spreadsheet <laughs> open, coincidentally. Uh, so 
Claudio Reyna, the Austin FC's sporting director, he had he had a decent run at NYCFC, put together some decent teams there. Uh, here so far, he's had some hits and had some misses. And I've seen some people online kind of question his acumen as a sporting director and saying that his success in New York was mostly due to them be, being part of City Football Group. Um, how much... Uh, like how much stock do you put into that theory and like, just how do you rate Reina in general as a sporting director? Sure. So I'll preface all of this by saying that it's impossible for any of us to know how good or how involved or who, which player was pushed for by which person in the, in each specific front office and which player was, you know, I don't know about that, but I'll let you have this one, this one. Right. Like, so we don't know, right. All we can judge is, is the results um, they got good results at NYCFC. Do they have some advantages because they're a part of City Football Group? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's fair to say. Do those advantages exist at Austin FC? No, they don't. They're not a part of a, a massive global scouting network. They don't have all the data and the resources and the institutional knowledge that Manchester City has in its network of what a dozen or so clubs all around the world. That's no shade to Austin FC. This is like the preeminent football organization in the sport, you know? <laughs> and, and so you're able to tap into that at NYCFC in a way that you're not when you're at Austin. So the job becomes a little bit more difficult in some ways. Um, I think that they made some pretty fairly obvious mistakes last year, um, particularly at the beginning of the season and entering the year with Danny Houston as your striker. You know, that was one that, uh, you know, a lot of people, myself included, were kind of raising an eyebrow at the time. And, you know, it's hard, it's easy to play the results after the fact, but that was one that people were kind of curious about from the get-go. Um, so that's one that I would point to. Um, the center backs, I would say a little less so, you know, as at the time being a concern, but they were something of a concern, maybe not as much as striker. And, and you know, again, that was a position that hurt us last year. That being said, I, I think Austin is due to make a decent jump this season because I think they were better than what their record showed. And I think the underlying numbers kind of reflected that. I think Drew Ucy is really good. Um, you know, he showed that in MLS in his brief time in the league. I think Musa Jite uh, is interesting. Um, he's not super polished, um, but he's got some ability there. And if he can kind of fit in, then, you know, he should be better than what Danny Hoopson and Aaron Schoenfeld were able to provide last season, which, you know, how many games did they combine to play? Like six, something like that. They were both uh, injured for most of the years. Hoopson played five, I believe, and Schoenfeld never suited up. So there you go, five, right? So that that's an issue. Like, and, and so if those guys can be better and if they can be better along the back line, which I don't, I'm blanking right now. Today has been an absolute. Uh, Cascante and Romagna are the center backs now, and Reyna has said that they are in the market for another yeah, like starting so, level center so back right now. So they still need to add that, right? Yeah, and I think I think it all hinges on that center back. Yeah. Move. Like and, the and whole season probably hinges on that. Right. And, you know, they have some time, right? The season is six weeks away, so that's not very much time. But the primary transfer window doesn't close for a while, right? And, um, you know, Austin played some good soccer last year, and I would expect more of that stylistically this year. And I would expect better results and a decent jump as well, um, especially if they get that center back across the line. Yeah, I think one other um, mistake that Austin fans would point out would be the expansion draft. Uh, I think we ended up 
yeah. having one of those guys play any real minutes for us. And one of the guys we picked was Kamal Miller and traded him for, I think, 250K in GAM, pretty much. Yeah, and he ended yeah. up being a Canadian national team player. Yeah, no, and he's done well. And, and, and at the time, though, you know, like that was one that like maybe it seemed a little bit low, but it wasn't a thing that people were like up in arms about, right? And yeah. so that's one where it's like, you know, the process instead of the result. I think that's important to keep in mind. The Joe Corona one was bad, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. very, yeah. very bad. Um, and that one's on Reyna and the entire staff there. I'm sure they don't feel good about that entire transaction. Um, if they listen to this podcast, I'm sure they, they're cringing to themselves right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that one was bad. Um, but you look around the expansion draft, a lot of teams don't do super well with it. Um, so it's not that rare of a thing. Uh, there aren't a ton of good players available in it most of the time, um, by design. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, like Charlotte this year, for instance, they got more money back for a couple of guys that they traded, but they traded basically the only, the two best players that they selected. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't, I, I'm not going to crush them for not having a great expansion draft. It's guess, it's, I'm guessing I guess what I'm trying to say, even though I think to your point, they didn't have a great one. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to ask about you know the offseason. We've had made a couple signings from within the league, right? We made Maxi Arudi and uh, Ethan Finley. Um, how much do you value just getting MLS guys who are what is what do we call Ethan Finley? Like just an MLS minute eating kind of guy. Like, oh yeah, the the Matt Doyle's what he calls minute eaters. Minute eaters. Um, I think Ethan Finley is a decent pickup. You know, he's a guy that can do a job for you. Um, Max Cerruti, I'm not a huge fan. Um, that being said, we don't know what his contract is. And he, if I'm remembering correctly, had a decent season last year for Houston. He scored a I decent think number seven, of goals. seven goals, I think. Yeah. So if he's your starting number nine, that's a problem. If you're paying him over a million dollars, like he was making last year, that's a problem. I would yeah. assume that he's not making that as much, nearly as much money this year. And I would assume that the plan is for him to back up Musajite. So as a number two, number nine, on a decent number, yeah, I like Max Cerruti. And Ethan Finlay, again, is, is an option on the wing. Um, not a lock it, locked-in starter, maybe, but a guy who's going to compete and add depth and spot spot start for you, most likely. Yeah, I think that's a good signing, too, and a solid pickup. Yeah, my hopes for both of those guys are... Um kind of a change of pace when needed because probably we're thinking right now the starting right winger is going to be Diego Fagundes, a very different player than Ethan Finley. And if we ever are in a situation where we need to play in transition a bit more or stretch a line, Finley and Aruti are guys who can come off the bench and do that for you in a pinch. And then if nothing else, I'm hoping Aruti will just push Gite to like just to have some competition to know that, okay, you have to work or there's a guy behind you who's going to start in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think he can do that for sure. Um, and, and I think your point about is, is spot on about kind of offering a different kind of option than, than what's already on the roster. All right. Well, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, did you no, have any other I appreciate, questions? appreciate you sharing some, sharing some thoughts and some time with us. And I guess if we have Pochettino news at the end of next season, we'll be sure to have you back. <laughs> uh, any, set a yearly date right <laughs> any other austin fc thoughts sam um no not really i mean i think it's i think it's been relatively quiet for the most part this offseason for them that wasn't entirely unexpected they do need to get a center back done um but you know i think it's fair for fans to expect uh, a real jump 
from year one to year two, um, as long as they a get that improved center back play and then just kind of like regress to the mean a little bit in the attack. I guess one more question about a center back. So we are looking through free agents and I don't think there's any free agent center backs right now that would be the difference maker that Austin needs right now. So we're looking through guys who might fit like uh, the model for a trade. And that's a little bit slim pickings too. Again, we don't know what contracts look like and all, but uh, Alexander Kyens is one that I really liked. If I don't know that New York would be willing to get rid of him, but he seemed to kind of fit the mold of like maybe in the last year of his contract and maybe be able to afford him if we were to trade for him like that. Is there anybody you can think of that would be kind of fit the mold for that kind of Alex Ring trade like we made last season? Ooh, it's a little late in the game for one of those right now. Uh, center backs are notoriously difficult to find, particularly left-footed center backs for any team in the, around the world not just an MLS. Um, I don't see Kyans being an option for Austin. I don't think NYCFC would, would want to part with him um, in any way, shape or form, especially coming after, you know, a championship season for them. So off the top of my head, man, you put me on the spot here and I, I have nothing for you. I apologize. My brain no is, worries. it's shot. Um, it's been a day. We but, did. We um, did have time to think about it, and still came up with. Nothing, so. <laughs> I'm sure there are a few out there, um, you know, but they would probably be unproven or kind of, you know, proven not super starting caliber. Or if you're going to trade for one, it would cost a ton of money. And as I'm sure you guys know, expansion teams they get extra money in year one, and a lot of that trickles over into year two. But it's less, and so they might not have the room to spare. Um, to swing a seven-figure trade. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind as well. All right. Well, Sam, thanks again for joining us. Um, we appreciate it as always. And uh, yeah, have a good day. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. I ain't got no time to let you pass. I only got one life. And it's gone too we would like to thank Sam Stay School one more time for taking the time out of his very busy day last week to, to spend some time with us. So I wanted to maybe react to that a little bit, mainly on ideas about what we could have or should have done with that third designated player spot. It seems like Sam and Chris Bills had slightly different ideas about what we could do. Uh, so Sam said we should... And this is a thing that I honestly hadn't even really given that much thought to, but like spending a lot of money on a young DP, which is something you can do. And Chris Bills seemed to be more of the idea of like spending on someone like Leo Weissen in like a position of need uh, and you can still pay Alex Ring with Tam and then bring someone in that you can actually spend this transfer fee on and it doesn't count towards their salary budget charge. Um do you like after hearing that does it change your your ideas on what we should do or like make you think differently about any of that well i think when sam talked about it i know he talked about atlanta having one and i think it was is it lafc was the other club oh yeah mentioned? brian rodriguez at lafc and ezekiel barco at atlanta who i think they're selling him now but they did have him this last season they as did. a young dp so i mean those are clubs that have no fear of spending money and no salary budget. And I think that, that I think Austin's a very different club. And I feel like it's a really risky 
move to do that, especially when you have known holes in the roster to throw a whole bunch of money at a young international prospect that might or might not pan out. Yeah. You mentioned holes in the roster. Uh, I like, I agree with Sam that spending 10 million on a young DP is the, is the objectively more ambitious thing to do. But like looking at Austin's roster right now and just thinking about like how many roster spots we have and what kind of roster spots those are, I don't think a $10 million 22 year old fixes our problems right now. We need a 27 year old center back, like a grizzled veteran essentially to come in and take charge. And like, even if we were spending $10 million on a 22 year old, I don't know that it fixes that problem. Do you, do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. I mean, I, I just think that's not the right move right now for where Austin FC is. And maybe at some point in the future when we're a different club and, have different construction, maybe it makes sense, but I don't think that's where we are. And it's, so I think that the kind of move, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with Chris's call either. Cause I, I know, I mean, DP center back seemed to be sort of a very rare thing. So I mean, I feel like what we did with the ring was the thing to do. Do you, what do you think? I, I think the real, uh, like assessment can be made once we do sign that center back. Uh, and Claudio has said that like we are looking for a starting level caliber center back, right? So this isn't speculation. We do they are trying to sign a starting level center back. I think once we sign that player, uh, we'll we know. can make a more fair assessment and say like, okay, well maybe they should have thrown a bag at a guy like Vicenin or like a bigger name that you can't get with Tam and kept Ring on a Tam contract because we probably still could have him on a Tam contract. Um, but if we sign a Tam center back that in, comes in and bosses it or looks like he at least could be that kind of player, then I think the ring DP spot's fine. But uh, yeah, time will tell. All right. Uh, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at Elviahero87 and at jbentley underscore ATX. And then uh, the Moon Tower Soccer account is on Instagram and Twitter, both at Moon Tower Soccer. And then we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what can folks look forward to there this week? Well, Chris Bills put out a pretty good article about uh, called call Monopoly Money, about what is TAM and GAM, uh, that really walks through those two mechanisms and what they are and what they aren't. And I know we heard that a little bit, uh, you know, the conversation with Sam, just about what what those mean, how they're not actual money. So Chris does a pretty good job of breaking it down. And then also, you know, we, I don't think we've ever talked about her, but you know, Jojo, who's the editor of the striker, Texas ran a half marathon in Houston and averaged a six minute mile for 13, <laughs> for 13 miles this week. And I'm pretty sure I cannot, not pretty sure. I'm a hundred percent sure I cannot run a single six minute mile without dying. So fastest editor in the business. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I got close to a six minute mile in high school when I was like in the best shape of my life. And I still am not sure that I actually got there. Uh, but running 20, how much is a marathon? 26 miles. It was a half. It was a half. Oh, so half 13, 13, 13 consecutive 16, six minute miles. Yeah. No, 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 that's not happening. That's not, I don't, I don't believe that's even real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Congratulations, Jojo. You are, I am very impressed with, with everything that you do, both running and editing wise. So thank you for all that you do. 
All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. We're, we're going to, I think we're going to have our friend Chris Wilhausen on and we'll go through the depth chart and kind of compare it to where we were at this point last year. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye.